0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're
1: listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's
2: Damon Amendolara.
3: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Wednesday, June the 26th. I'm your host, DA. As the NBA world turns every day, a new twist, a new story on the saga that is the NBA's free agency period. Jimmy Butler set to be a free agent. Now, will the Philadelphia 76ers offer him the max deal more than anybody else can? Or will they let him walk or watch him walk somewhere else? Well, before they do that, maybe they'd want to trade him somewhere to get something back in return. And who wants Butler? The Houston Rockets, who are dealing with off-season friction and in-season dysfunction. It never stops in the NBA, so let's start in Houston. Mad Radio, Sports
0: Radio, 610.
3: Should the Rockets be all in on
0: Butler? They will get a meeting with Jimmy Butler is basically what Maury also said on Cowherd's radio show, and it's going to be very complicated to try to land Jimmy Butler because if the Sixers offer him the kind of money that they can, then he would have to turn down more money to come here, Right, and I don't know how optimistic I am about landing him, but I do think it's a solid sign that they're at least going to get a meeting next week.
2: there okay. Let's let's make it as simple as possible, and I'll pretend like it's for the sake of the listener. When really it's for me, Mike. So at the very least, for Butler to come here, he'd likely have to give up at least eight million dollars. Is that correct? That's what it sounds like, and it could potentially actually be more than that, depending on what the Sixers plan on doing. Because the Sixers could give him one hundred and sixty million dollars or so over five years if they gave him the, the 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 total max that they could. And like on a per year basis, I know it doesn't work out necessarily, but basically like, the, it, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money that, that Jimmy Butler would have to take to come here because he
0: just flat out believes in the Rockets more than the Sixers. So here's the best way I can describe it or try to explain it. Uh, and I'm not even a salary cap <laughs> expert by any means, but Jimmy Butler's in a situation where he can sign a long, a long-term contract with the Sixers but kind of like Chris Paul two years ago he can also he also has a player option so to help out the Rockets he can opt back into his contract to make a deal more feasible and also make himself cheaper right but and, it and he like and he it would, wouldn't be like
2: if he did that if he opted in it wouldn't be like with Chris Paul where he was only coming here for a one- year deal correct he'd have a long-term deal so there'd be no risk to him of getting injured and then all of a sudden being out on the streets next yes. year so he would it have would be, a, he'd have some semblance of security he would, have a wink, wink, he would have a wink, wink. He would have a wink, wink. Long term deal after next season. I don't know if you. I think he. I thought he could actually opt into a long term deal with the Sixers as long as you're agreeing to get traded to actually make the money closer. Uh,
0: that part. That that's very
2: okay. possible. i, 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 I would to tell you right this after dra- I think like NBA players are dumb, frankly, for doing what they do when they do the the sign in for a one year deal with a wink, wink. Because I don't trust any NBA team that if all of a sudden Jimmy Butler tore his Achilles tendon that the Rockets would give him a long-term deal after that.
0: It's definitely a, a, a concern you got to think about, yeah. no doubt. I just, I'm trying to be objective about this, and I I don't know if I'm Jimmy Butler why I would leave Philly to go to Houston. Well, Tom Ball. The, the allure of Tom Ball. The ball. Yeah, the ball. It's right there. He's like he's very proud of being from Town Ball. But here's the thing. if I the, the Philadelphia 76ers came the closest to knocking off the champs. Uh-huh. Fact. I mean, this team was a couple, was maybe a bounce away from beating the Toronto Rappers. Yeah. And to I know... Joel Embiid was just uh, bawling about it like a small child in his girlfriend's arms. There, There's a lot of drama around the Sixers, kind of like there's a lot of drama here. People are like, oh, can Simmons and Embiid work with each other? And is Embiid going to stop eating candy so much and get himself in shape? And is he going to stay healthy? And these are all valid concerns. But at the I mean, end... He's th- like a likable Dwight Howard, isn't he? Uh,
2: Yeah, It's weird. To. It's like Dwight, Dwight probably looks at Embiid and is like, man, he pulled it off. Yes. Somehow.
0: You learned but- my the lessons of me that team, when they're on and they're playing well and they're healthy, is as dangerous as anybody. Right, but Jimmy Butler might just
2: miss the allure of the Gulf Coast. He wants to come back. He could stay in Tomball. He could get a, get himself a high clearance pickup truck so he can help out during floods. Just like uh, like that's the that's the new that's like the I feel like people are opting for high clearance trucks instead of fishing boats these days. I drive down the highway and I'm like I feel like a midget amongst all these these high clearance trucks. So he can come back. He can be. He can be back home around his family and you think, friends. You think he'd live in Tomball? I think he would. I think he could carpool with AJ Hinch. Who do you think is the and last? AJ Hinch lives up north too. <laughs> Who do you think <laughs> they, they would uh, like? They keep different hours, but well, yeah. not necessarily. No, they they're both night night folk. Yeah, <laughs> they perform at night. <laughs> yeah.
3: This is a super high risk, high reward situation for the Rockets. If indeed is the case, they are chasing Butler because does he make them better? Yeah. James Harden is a scorer, not known for doing the little things, the gritty things. Chris Paul is on the back end of his career with an unmovable contract. Butler does the little things. He does all the things nobody else wants to do. He is a dirt dog, if you will, and he automatically makes you better, adding another all-star to the roster. But he's also combustible. And if things are already contentious, if things are already, quote-unquote, unsalvageable in Houston— adding a volatile personality like Butler could end up being the match that lights everything on fire even worse. I mean, look, if the Rockets want to contend, yeah, something like this works. But losing a guy like Clint Capella or Gordon or Tucker in doing so and adding a guy that just might pump the basketball across the practice facility is a huge risk to take. The Boston Celtics are likely to lose both Kyrie Irving and Al Horford to free agency. So where do they set their sights? Sounds like Danny Ainge is interested in Hornets free agent Kemba Walker. Now the Hornets can offer more years and more money than the Celtics can, but the Celtics could be with a big need in the backcourt. So what would Kemba to the Celtics mean? Here's former Celtic and Radio.com basketball insider Brian Scalabrini who joined the clubhouse with Kyle Bailey on WFNZ in Charlotte.
0: What does the addition of Kimball Walker do to the Celtics? How much does it elevate them in that contention for a, an Eastern Conference
4: championship? Yeah, I think we put them into the conversation. They have young players. So just go back to, not this past season, but a year before. And I get it. The Eastern Conference, like Toronto's better, Milwaukee's better. So it's, sometimes it's not. but you know, two seasons ago, they had Cleveland on the ropes. It wasn't for LeBron making ridiculous plays down the stretch of that game, but they had Cleveland on the ropes, and that was no Kyrie, no Gordon Hayward, and so I get it. Kyrie's going to be gone, and probably Al Horford as well is probably going to opt out, get a nice deal someplace else, and he'll be gone. But if you had Kemba Walker to this team, and I'm telling you, Jalen Brown's a good player, Jason Tatum. Uh, he was great his first year, and and the Celtics really believe in him. They believe he can take that next step. They believe he can be that dominant player that that's consistently averaging between twenty two and twenty four points a game. You know, going into his third year, you add that, and then it's just a matter of go out the front court. Kemba Walker is that missing piece, that guy who. Well, from what we understand, great locker room guy, I hear something different. Like coaches love him because he plays hard and he's a big-time competitor, and I think that's what the Celtics are looking for, guys like that. So I'd i would I'd have to see him after preseason, maybe even a month into the season, but I would put him in a conversation for a top-four team in the Eastern Conference for sure.
5: Well,
0: what you just said is accurate, by the way. He's as advertised. Good guy, good teammate, good locker room guy, very humble, very quiet. Like he's exactly what you think he is. And I, I guess it would probably be a welcome change for a lot of Celtics fans and, and some of his teammates as well. Like, how hard is Kyrie Irving to get along with? I mean, he, is he that bad in in a locker room? Why, why all the the angst and the the brooding and the moodiness and the inability to get along with his teammates? I, I mean, you hear guys like Jalen Rose, and I don't know what your stance on this is, but you hear these guys talk and say that his teammates would help him pack to get him out of town. Is he that bad?
4: Yeah, so I think it's a it's a perfect storm of. Uh, the year before, he gets hurt, and he's probably thinking, and listen, I was thinking the same thing. What's going to happen now? What a terrible year. You know, uh, Gordon Hayward, first game of the season. Now Kyrie's out because of, you know, the wire irritating the knee, and you got to get that right, and he's going to miss the rest of the season. And along the way, his team just, like, bonded together, and they were, it was, like, this, crazy to see a team that is decimated by injuries Your top, you know, two players on the team – And they rally around like a college team making a run in the NCAA tournament. And that went on for pretty much March, April, and then into the playoffs. And I think what happened with Kyrie is, now I don't know if he was upset about that. I can't even imagine that he'd be upset that these guys had success when he was not playing. You would think that he would want his guys to do well. But this year, it looked like he was trying to tell the guys, listen, I'm going to... I'm gonna teach you guys what it takes to win. You guys didn't do anything the year before, and I think the young players are looking at it like, well, when you won a championship, you were great, no question. But we were pretty good too, and you had LeBron, so you put LeBron on our team, and we're probably winning a championship as well. So all the stuff and all the calling out the young guys that end the games, I think all that stuff just wore on guys and basically said, you know, like, like, are we supposed to call out this guy who continues to call us out? or are we supposed to keep our mouth shut because he's entering into free agency? So all that stuff had to happen. But if the Celtics never had the success the year before, which they, they went out there and they earned it, I don't know if Kyrie would have acted like this. I think he wanted to be like this alpha male and everyone, we need Kyrie, we need Kyrie. But I think the tone as the year went along was like, hey, we take him or leave him. We have a lot of young guys here that are going to continue to develop. And if if he ends up leaving, then so be it.
3: I really like Kemba Walker, and I think he is a level-headed addition to a backcourt maybe in a locker room that was dealing with a lot of egos with Kyrie and others last year. But Kemba on a max deal – Joining the Boston Celtics and swapping out Kyrie didn't necessarily make you a better team. I mean, at their peaks, at their best, Kyrie is still a better basketball player than Kemba Walker is. And are the Hornets, with nothing else coming down the pipeline, really willing to part ways with Kemba by not giving him the full contract, which would be so much more money than the Celtics could? I think it's an interesting move for the Celtics. And I don't blame them for having to look at a plan B and. Walker is a good plan B, but I'm not certain that losing Kyrie and adding Kemba Walker suddenly means the Celtics are better than anybody else in the Eastern Conference. We learned that Kevin Durant has opted out of his final year of his deal with the Golden State Warriors. So at $31 million, he says no thanks and will enter the free agency pool. And everybody had pointed to the New York Knicks for so many months connecting them with Kevin Durant. But is it possible now that the Knicks don't get Kyrie, don't get Kevin Durant to maybe strike out all together. Here's ESPN's Bobby Marks, who joined the J&J Show in 92.9 in Memphis. I
5: don't know about striking out. I mean, it. you know, like, yes, I think we've played it up with the 70 million, and they have not helped themselves. New York coming out publicly and say that they're going to get, uh, what they say, we're going to get two good guys or two guys, and um, I think if, you know, if... Not signing Durant or Irving, I probably not doesn't sound appealing to Nick fans. Is not, it is not the end of the world here. I think you've seen teams that can build rosters. You know, Atlanta, I think, is a good example. I think what Brooklyn's been able to do the last couple of years, that you can build it organically and make some shrewd trades and find some under the radar guys that eventually you you start to become that forty to forty two win team, and then you take that next step, and then maybe you can get a Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. Down the road, um, down the road in the future, and yeah, I mean, I think people in New York probably don't want to hear that as far as Knicks fans, but mm-hmm. um, but I think that's kind of probably be the direction that they will have to go.
2: If you're guessing, Bobby, and I know that's what we're all doing with Kawhi. Do you think he goes short term and returns to Toronto? You think he ends up elsewhere?
5: Well, yeah, you know, I was asked this earlier, and I got free agency, and I and I and I'm I'm starting to. I don't have any inside information, sure. just but a gut feeling that I think I think we're going to probably see status quo for a lot of these guys. Yep. You know, like Kyrie kind of is like the only guy, maybe Kemba, but with KD and Clay, and then you know with Kwai, Kwai's interesting because you know here's a guy who left two twenty one on the table in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and you know goes to Toronto and and you know can sign one ninety with them or one forty with another team and. You know, usually we would criticize a player if he takes a two-year, what, sixty-eight million-dollar contract. How could he leave money on the table mm-hmm. and and the, the the risk of injury? And I, I think what we're going to see is you know guys like Durant and Clay are going to get probably max contracts coming off an ACL and an Achilles. And he's, you know, in his mindset, is that 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 contract we will be waiting for next year, possibly, from mm-hmm. some team. And let's give it one more swing, and we we return every player on the roster. you might lose Danny Green here, and that might give me the best opportunity to win again. Um so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different options that you can it's hard to leave a championship team. I mean, that is no doubt. Because you've been there for a year, and you don't, you know what? They've sold you for 11 months. Exactly. it's hard for a team to sell you in three hours. Yeah. Basically, what their philosophy is.
6: There was a I got to ask you about
0: this report. I saw this over the weekend. Uh, it was a it was a TV guy out of New Orleans, and the tweet was something like, "If Mark Gasol opts out of his deal with the Raptors, the Pelicans have had discussions about landing him." There is no way if you're Marcus, all you are opting out of that option, right? It's twenty five point six million dollars. Like, I mean, I, even if you don't care about money, I mean, it's just he's not going to come close to getting that anywhere else.
5: Well, usually when you see a guys opt out, well, Horford or you know Harrison Barnes, those big numbers, there's a there's a landing spot somewhere. They're they're, like you right, know, like, not, like, right, like right. Valanciunas right. is not opting out of seventeen point nine. If he no, doesn't know that, there's something there waiting Absolutely. for him from Memphis for another team. So. Yeah, that's it. He's you know with uh, with Mark, you know, if his agent feels that you know he gets a firm commitment that there's a twenty to twenty five million dollar offer in you know from a team, um, then yeah, I mean that's something to look at. But to go in there blind and just say you know what, well, we, we, there's a lot of teams with cap space. So let's hope it works out. I just that's a big time risk there.
3: I think somebody's going to come to the Knicks because they've got money to burn, and if they miss out on Kevin Durant and Kyrie. They're going to be desperate to spend that money, and somebody's going to take it. Maybe that's a Tobias Harris. Maybe that's somebody else. But the Knicks' grand plans of getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or a big-ticket free agent like a Clay Thompson or a Kawhi Leonard is just not feasible, and they've done this to themselves. They cleared the deck thinking that just because they were the Knicks, New York City, Madison Square Garden— people were going to beg to come there, and that's not the case. They've been so dysfunctional for so long with such terrible ownership and so many failed restarts and rebuilds that teams know around the league that the Knicks aren't a number one destination. They don't treat them as such. And the guys that really want to go to the Knicks are guys that don't have those options to be in winning, functional, healthy organizations – other places on to baseball. Those in Philly still hot under the collar at Gabe Kapler. Even after a couple of wins this week over the hapless New York Mets, Philly is still wondering if Gabe Kapler should be the manager of the Phillies. In fact, last week our friend Angelo Cataldi on WIP in Philadelphia said he should not be. People don't like that Gene Segura could lapse in effort and still start for the Phillies. So here's Kapler answering those critiques with Cataldi on WIP. We talked last week about that play where you blew out your Achilles running hard on a home run ball. Does it frustrate you to have to keep dealing with an issue when you yourself played so hard when when you were a player?
1: I'm really really glad we're talking about this issue. Um, let, Let me start with this. It would be easy to bench players. And I know that it would make a significant segment of the fan base happy. And I would not have to face the questions about it every day. And you know what? In the end, maybe my job would be safer. It would be easy, but it wouldn't be right. I see our fans as an important part of what we do every day, but I can't and I won't manage based on online polls. I'm going to make decisions that I believe are in the best interest of our team based on what's happening inside that clubhouse. And what I'm seeing from fans, and the question you're asking, it it seems to assume that there's a lack of care coming from Gene, coming from Caesar, Like, they're not trying hard enough. And I understand why it may look like that from the stands, watching on TV, whatever. If that were the case, then maybe some sort of punishment would make sense, like pulling them out of the lineup, not playing. But that's just not the case. Gene didn't run as hard as he could because he let his frustration come out for a moment. And, and we've all had those moments. I had mine kicking dirt after a temper tantrum last week. Caesar saw a ball as foul that was fair, then was overly cautious and didn't want to take the bat out of Bryce's hands. These aren't the best decisions. But they're not the product of people who don't care. And punishment might make some people feel better for a moment, like they've gotten some sort of vicarious emotional release, whatever. But punishment doesn't teach emotional control during our most challenging times. And punishment doesn't ensure that we're going to see foul or fair better with more accuracy. Like I said, it's a, it's a minute of emotional release for fans and sometimes for decision makers, but not for the clubhouse who continues to see the effort that Caesar has brought for years and who see, see hustle from Gene. And, and I don't want to let those, that, those clubhouse guys down. The guys we have in that room, they're they're professional. They don't need a big public spectacle to understand the pressure and the urgency. And they don't need a stunt like removing somebody from a lineup to get that that Philadelphia loves players who throw their bodies around and fearlessly hustle. They sacrifice their bodies in the process. And I see every one of our players working their asses off to be the best team we can be every single day. So failure happens in this game. But I trust the group in that room. I'm going to have their backs every single day because they
3: deserve that. Hey, you got to give Cape Kapler credit for coming on the airwaves and defending his position when a lot of guys in that position would just resent and steam and stew over what a guy said about him on the radio. And I guess I understand where Kapler's coming from, that punishment doesn't necessarily equal learning, that there are other ways to do it, and that Maybe Segura is one of those guys, but I will say this. It helps when you win a few games to earn you a little bit of credit, and right now you're earning credit over a terrible baseball team that's lost its way in the New York Mets, that are in the middle of a huge controversy between their manager, their front office, and their players. So it's one thing right now to say, see, it's working. It's another thing to really have it straightened out and right of the ship. And I'm not sure you can say that the Phillies are there yet, but Kepler's a new school guy, and I appreciate him going against conventional wisdom because too many times guys just do conventional wisdom because they do think it'll help them keep their job longer. One of the big topics in baseball recently has been the pay scale of minor league baseball. Once you get to the majors, you're making good money. And certainly once you sign that free agent deal, you're making big-time money. But before that, in the minors, it is really a very small salary to live on. And you're riding buses and staying in motels and eating team food. So is this fair, this huge discrepancy? Here's Sean Doolittle, longtime major leaguer who spent six years in the minors on how he thinks the wages exploit the players on Grant and Danny, 106.7 in D.C. (laughs) John,
0: Adam Eaton's getting beat up uh, on the internet by based on his comments about minor league baseball I think some of those were taken out of context he obviously said we don't want people exploited but it's okay for guys to struggle down on the farm a little bit to maybe have an appreciation or try to get out of there to work to, to where you guys are in the bigs I know you've you've talked a lot about uh you know the, the minor leagues and the conditions and underpayment and, and things like that just what are your general thoughts on uh, on this kind of phenomenon here where some attention's being brought to it
7: um, I think it's, I think the, the, the pay in the minor leagues, I think is uh, it, it's terrible. Um, it's disgusting. It's exploitative. Um, you know, I spent parts of six seasons in the minor leagues and, um, I, I, I dealt with some injuries there and, um, I saw a lot of things. Um, I had the, I had the safety net of being a first round pick. Um, so I didn't maybe necessarily experience some of that hardship firsthand. Um, but, um, I I watched it break a lot of guys, um, the, the strain that it puts on you, uh, and your family, uh, it's really tough. And, you know, then by the time you're maybe in your mid twenties, uh, um, it's kind of, you're at a crossroads in your life. Right. But maybe you you haven't, you don't have a college degree to fall back on. You, You, maybe you've already had a high school education and it's like, all right, well, do I want to put my life, on hold for four more years while I go back to school, uh, and work towards, uh, you know, getting a job. Um, how do I, how do I do that? Um, so, you know, you, 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 you hang on as as long as you possibly can. And, um, I, it, it, I just don't think for, you know, and all the while, like this carrot is being dangled in front of you, like, you know, someday you might get to the big leagues. Right. And, and, and I don't know, I, I, I don't think it's, um, I I don't think it's uh, the best way um, to do things. Um, I I don't know. It, it, it's it's tough. I I don't I don't know exactly what he said or the context in which he said it. Um, but you know, my experience. Um, everybody's experience is different. Um, so, but that's just the way I see it. I also think that the the low. Payment in the minor leagues is kind of the foundation that the major league baseball pay scale is built on. And the less that they pay guys there, the less that they have to pay, uh, you know, clubs pay major league baseball players. It's all because it, you know, relatively it's a lot of money. Objectively it is a lot of money, but, um, it's one of those things that, uh, by comparison, um, they're able to, uh, Maybe get you to sign something that's a little bit below your your actual value, what you're really bringing to the team. So there's a lot wrapped up in it. Um, it, it it's, I think it's a, a a pretty nuanced thing, but I just I think they should be paid uh, a living wage, something that's more fair.
3: I mean, look, let's face it, the whole scale is really weird because it's built on players hitting free agency when they're 29, 30 years old and making crazy amounts of money. In baseball, look at the money that guys like Manny Machado ended up getting, guys like Bryce Harper ended up getting, guys every single year. Look at Mike Trout. Those are monster deals. But obviously not everyone gets those deals, and now so many times players, by the time they get to 30, are no longer all that valuable They're most valuable when they're young in today's baseball, and that's why there's now this fight over this. For the longest time, no problem, because you were hitting your stride at 28, 29 years old, and today you're hitting your stride at 22 or 23, and players would like to be paid like that then, especially if they're dealing with the minor league life. Now, finally, Chad Cinco, formerly Chad Johnson, Wide receiver in the NFL that drew a lot of attention, a lot of headlines. Join WQAM in Miami and the Joe Rose Show. Was it that Ocho Cinco created a social media brand before social media? Years and years ago, when you were with the Bengals, I used to tell uh-huh. Joe every morning, uh, "I'm seeing on Twitter, it's early, uh-huh. real early during training camp, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It might have been during the regular season." Ocho right. Cinco just invited 200 people to McDonald's that was for breakfast, cool as hell, or he's oh, yeah, or invited always. 200 yeah, yeah.
2: people to the movie theater. Like yeah. you love doing that kind of stuff, right? You were social media kind of king before mm-hmm. social media was big.
6: Yeah, before before it got big. So what I would do on during the season on the road on the road trips, obviously the opposing fans, obviously I would have fans of the opposing team as well. So what I would do is, is I would pick a restaurant. So like, let's say we're going to play in Indianapolis and I would pick a famous restaurant in the city. And for Indianapolis, it was St. Elmo's. So I would be like the first 100 people to meet me at St. Elmo's on Saturday. Once my team, once the team plane landed, you know, come have lunch with me or come have lunch with me at St. Elmo's. And I did it in (laughs) Cleveland, I did it in Pittsburgh. And, you know, for... Almost, really, almost a decade on every road game just to have an opportunity to to mingle and meet and talk about and talk football with with those from the opposing team. It was fun.
2: I got to tell you, where I know you're a big hit up in Florida. Some of mm-hmm. the things you've done going up there with those students and and the video. Oh, and, yeah,
6: that was fun. That like, was how fun. do you come up with these things that you end <laughs> that up fun.
2: doing? Yeah, I,
6: I had my kids you know up there and saw you. Yeah, yeah um, in Gainesville, Professor Spiker. Professor Spiker, uh, he is a he teaches a class on media. I think it's, I, I, don't, I don't know the, the, the correct name of the course, but on Twitter they they had something on Twitter where they tried to reach out to someone and get them to come speak. And I happened to see it a few years ago. And they said, "Can you come and talk to our class?" And Professor Spiker, you know, I told him, you know, what I will come. He got in contact with me, but the class didn't know. And and one day, you know, they were having a speaker and they had no idea it was me. And I just I I drove down to Gainesville and, and went to, and talked to the sports media class, and I mean I've done that maybe two or three times.
2: By the way, then he went out and bought everybody food too. Of course, forget. Forget he yeah, did. Yeah, of
6: course, went to the did. swamp. I think the name of it was Wow. Like, so I took the entire class.
2: <laughs> well <swamped> done, <laughs> well done,
3: Chad. That's a landmark place up there in Gainesville. What's the obsession with McDonald's? Over the years, you've had
6: a, a, you know what? A, an obsession See, with I, McDonald's. Listen, I've been eating it since nineteen what, 1984, I think since, since I was four, maybe five, when I used to get my little allowance. And nothing has changed. And I've, I've always been a bit advocate for it. You know, I mean, eating healthy <laughs> is one thing. And people, I don't know, everybody's different. I'm still in shape, still fast, still, still everything. And I—I'm I, listen, those that eat healthy, I'm all, all for it. But I really think you can enjoy yourself, you can enjoy life, eat what you want to. All you have to do is just work out. You know, had the discipline to work out based on what you consume. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I mean, look at me. I'm 51 and I still look great.
2: Well, are you? 41 now? You're not 51. How no,
6: 51. You got to add 10 years for the wear and tear, man. And <laughs> <what they look. laughs> I was and about I, to say you, you were four or five and 84. He, he was, That's my age. Like, was, what do you mean, mean 51? He was, he
2: was waiting on that one. He know, had that one ready I to go. Know. <laughs> Chad
3: Ochocinco went from really likable to really annoying when it was desperate for him to get attention. You know, early in his career, he's catching touchdowns, catching passes, helping the Bengals win games. But then as it went on and he became less productive, it seemed like the attention meant more. So it was a reality TV show with T.O. It was driving crazy vehicles to practice. It was doing anything but talking about football. And once it became a sideshow, to me, became really annoying. But I do think that is his legacy. That once upon a time, before Twitter and before Instagram, Chad Ochocinco was doing all of that to gain that type of attention and building a brand. Yeah, that'll do it. The best of your sports talk for Wednesday, June the 26th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial.
1: Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on radio.com or the radio.com app.